0: Welcome to another episode of the Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian Lesage. Today's guest is an incredibly interesting one. We're talking former elite athlete whose focus is in neurodiversity. Don't know what that is? It's worth sticking around. Lisa Richer brings to light more understanding of how the mind works and how you even think it's worth listening to this entire episode. Just like the previous episode where we talked with an athlete, this too is gonna be an episode where we dive into the mind of an elite athlete who even performed at the Olympic level. That doesn't even scrape the surface of what she's done. She went from the corporate world to an environment where now she is a consultant into the supporting journey of parents, educators, and neurodiverse learners giving a simplified approach and a personalized program as well as advising and training. It's been an honor to even have her on the show and I have to say she's an incredible guest. You'll gain more understanding about how not just you think but those around you and how they think. You really need to stick around because what you'll gain from this will change your life. It changed mine. Let's get into the show. Hey Lisa, so excited to have you on the show. Really happy to be able to have this uh, podcast with you. We've talked outside of it, but I have to say your story and what you're able to bring to the table with neurodiversity and being a former athlete and all the sorts of as well as corporate bring a gamut and a diversity of information to the table. So really happy to have you here.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here and a little bit nervous. You know, we talked about that, my social anxiety, and you're already that mindset thing, right? You're like, okay, I just got to breathe, but I'm sure we'll get into the groove and I'll be good to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll get right into it. So I always love getting into the show and helping my guests kind of understand who people are at a deeper level. And I don't think anything does it better than reversing it back in time and figuring out who Lisa was as a kid. So who were you on the playground?
1: Wow. I was the kid that was bouncing off the walls. I was the one climbing on top of the jungle gym, um, getting told, get down, you're going to hurt yourself, and just jumping everywhere. That, that was me. It was uh, constant motion.
0: That's incredible. That sounds exactly like my daughter. She's two and my wife and I are constantly saying the same exact things. So getting through that, I, 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 I feel for your parents. How were they with you through that?
1: It's funny that you ask because my parents were pretty laid back with it because even in our backyard, we had a swing set and I would literally there was those old metal ones and I would climb up onto the triangle part where there was a bar if you will. I mean, you know, I'm aging myself, today, right? Then I would climb up onto the top. And because I was a gymnast, I would literally walk across the top of the, it was round, but I would walk across the top of it. Oh and I gosh. could balance. And my mom and dad, you know, would be like, it's fine. My great aunts would be beside themselves, or I would climb in a tree till you couldn't see me. And they'd start screaming for me. And my mom would say, she's up there, that little spot at the top of the, you know, the tree. And it was a huge oak tree in our front yard. And so, you know, my parents were fine with it. My, uh, my aunts and uncles and grandparents, they were a little more nervous about it. The extended
0: family didn't like it too much. No. That's hilarious. I can't. It makes me curious. How many bones have you broke in your lifetime just being that adventurous?
1: You know, uh, none from that perspective. As a gymnast, I had stress fractures in my wrists, my heels, uh, my back. Uh, different things um but um never never broke a never broke a bone um other than gymnastics
0: wow yeah knock on wood that's incredible (laughs) (laughs) so going through all of that and your development did did you did your parents put you in gymnastics early Is that was an outlet what was an outlet for you Well, gymnastics
1: became an outlet for me because when I was three years old, I was at nursery school, and I saw a little girl doing gymnastics. She was doing cartwheels, and I taught myself a cartwheel, and I went home, and I told my mom, I want to go to Parkettes. That's where I trained, and she's like, okay, what's that, and she looked into it. I went into a Monday tumbling class. Um, and one time I said, I don't want to go. She called the coach. She said, it's fine. And then after that, from five years on until I graduated high school, I was at that gym training. So, so the outlet was there. I I asked for it and it just kept getting more and more intense, which helped me, um, stay focused, um, because it was, you had to be laser focused to do it right. And build your, Lower the anxiety, although the anxiety took over a lot, especially on beam. <laughs> but, um, you know, all of those things, it really taught a lot me a lot of resilience and how to overcome adversity and sportsmanship and working as an individual and in a team. I traveled a lot when I was a gymnast. So um, I learned a lot and went through a lot at a very young, young age.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine what you gain through that. And like you spoke into it being that laser focus, how you can take that, shift your mind. We have all these worries, but when you're about to whatever, do a trick, vault, right? Run on the I-beam, right? You have to pull your focus into that. And maybe for our listeners that don't know your story in the gymnastic component, wh- what was that for you? What How, how did that take place?
1: So I started when I was five and then Monday tumbling class. And then, um, pretty soon after was asked to be on the team. And years ago it was three, four, three, two, one elite. There were no levels like there are now. Um, elite was, is still there. Um, and so it was a class three, you had compulsories and then you have compulsory and optionals. Um, I went class three for like a couple of years where, I would practice like three days a week in the gym, two to three hours a day. And then I moved up to uh, level one um, where I was training, I don't even remember, maybe four days a week. And um, I actually fell on my double back at the end of my floor routine. uh, So I didn't make nationals for class one. So my coaches decided at 11 years old why don't we just have her try out for elite? Because as a junior elite, you didn't have to do compulsories. It was all optionals. And um, I, uh, wait, is that true? See, it's been so long. I've blocked out so much of like, if it was compulsory and optional, whether it was both or just one, they decided to have me try out for child elite, or it was called child elite, junior elite. So the same that year as an 11 year old, I I actually became an elite level national, junior national team member. So not only did I qualify at one of the regional meets, I made it to nationals, I made it to championships, and I made it on the national team at 11. So I was traveling around the country, around the world, um, both with my private club and um, representing the United States. And I um, was, by the time I was 11 in sixth grade, I was in a gym about six hours a day, six days a week. I was uh, getting out of school no later than one thirty in the afternoon, going right to practice, practicing, coming home, doing homework, going to sleep, and doing it all over again for many years.
0: Wow. So. That's quite a story. And that's a testament, again, to just the grind of anybody that's in that and wanting to maybe even get into that or have their children follow that same track. There's, there's a lot of sacrifices through that. So growing up through all of that, you probably gained a lot of positives just with things you've learned through visualizations and ability to focus your mind and figure those things out. But I also like to look at the other side of things as well and see it as a whole picture where there are times where you're You wish you were kind of out of it, or did you just love it completely?
1: Yeah, that's a that question. um, I think a couple years ago would have brought tears right to my eyes. Um, There was a a lot of good and a lot of tough times growing up. Um, The visualization work that we had done over over the years certainly helped. Um, As I became an adult and had my kids, I realized a lot of what was in my own way was right in here. And it was my anxiety and my fear of the unknown. Um, I also found out that I had a depth perception issue because my youngest son has visual processing disorder. And I was helped. They were teaching me how to teach him at home. And the therapist said, how are you a gymnast? You, you know, your depth perception as you get closer to a piece of equipment is so off. Like, how did you do this stuff? And all of a sudden, these light bulbs went off. And I was like, No wonder some of this was so difficult for me. So it's interesting right now as an adult, I realize just how many obstacles I had to overcome, not just mentally and emotionally, but physically with things that I didn't even know existed because we didn't know what we didn't know when I was younger. You know, I was born in 72, so I'm going on 50 this year. And and so a lot, you know, a lot has changed and a lot is of the unknown. Um, You know, for me, it was great When it was great, and when it wasn't, it was really bad to the point where I um, compartmentalized a lot. Um, Some of the struggles for me, and something that if there are younger people listening, or there are parents of people that are are athletes, whether it's a gymnast or otherwise, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, it would be don't just focus on gymnastics all the time. So gymnastics took took precedence even over my academics. I was traveling a ton. My sophomore year in high school, I missed 30 days of school. It was wonderful. I was traveling. I was traveling for my our uh, private club in California, Nevada, all these places. I was in Sicily competing for the United States. Like I was all over the place, but it definitely made other things suffer. And I didn't go to the proms and I didn't go to a lot of activities because I was focused on the gym. And when I loved it, it was worth every moment of it. The things I've learned from it were phenomenal. When I got injured, especially um, after my sophomore year, I guess it would have been my junior year, I fractured my back. Um, I'd had a stress fracture previously and I came back from that one. But the second one was a compression fracture. Um I came back from it but not as the same person. I grew about four inches when I was while I was injured um, and everything was just off. I never got back into my routine and at that point, honestly, Brian, I wanted to quit. I wanted to do nothing with gymnastics um, for m- numerous reasons I um, I I didn't, uh, most of them not my own choosing, Uh, got a scholarship to college, was injured more than I wasn't, was not happy throughout college. And so I really struggled because I was so laser focused on gymnastics. As I went through college and as I, when I graduated, I really struggled for many, many years. What is life like? without gymnastics. And even my college teammates, they weren't as high-level competitive. They didn't compete internationally for the U.S. I didn't go to a really a top-notch gymnastics school. And they didn't understand, like, just get over it. They didn't understand that fact that I it was so deeply seated in who I was. I was Lisa the gymnast, I wasn't Lisa, the person who happened to be a gymnast and happened to have all these other ideas and thoughts. All my thoughts are wrapped around that one thing, um, which is not good. Um, It was great that I was so dedicated to gymnastics. But what wasn't good was I had no thought on where I would go after.
0: Yeah, it sounds, and I I gotta say, there's probably people out there that can resonate with that. It's you're going through, and maybe it wasn't for gymnastics or being a, a high athlete or an elite athlete, right? High performing athlete, but maybe they've lost track of who they are as they're growing up and they're going through these identity crises, right? And they're they're figuring themselves out and going through that in a testament. And we're gonna fast forward through time. But I have to say and I have to condone you for just figuring that out and, and pushing through that. That takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of fear and a lot of internal reflection and all the sorts. So getting to where we're at now in maybe we're in college, right? We went to West Virginia um, and we're majoring in English. Is that correct? Right. So then we're trying to find ourselves w- – where where are we at mindset-wise?
1: Uh, a really bad place. It was probably the worst place for me mindset-wise. Um, I went from this teenager who was, I guess this was a good thing, oblivious to everything happening around me. I was someone that the the better others did, the better I was going to do. I was motivated by other people's success. I was never that gymnast that said, um, or that athlete, right, and that said, "Oh, I hope that person falls, or I hope they, I should have won that, or I should have done that." I was never that person. I had people around me that were those people that I would even overhear saying, "Oh, I should have won that meet instead of this person, you know, this person, or my, or even that I shouldn't have won it." Um, And at that point, it was like, I don't care what they're saying. I know what my goals are. I'm dedicated. I'm focused. But because going into college, I was so burnt out. I didn't want to do gymnastics anymore. I was in some ways forced to do it. I tried everything I could to get back and find my groove. But not only did I not want to be there doing what I was doing, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I changed my major like four times. Um, Our campus was huge. I felt lost. I now realize a lot of that was anxiety and social anxiety, right? I didn't know why I felt the way that I did. And I just, I was really lost pretty much through my whole time at college. And I will never forget a conversation I had um, with my parents and we're in a really good place now, but a conversation I had with them where I called them and you know, they didn't know what they didn't know either. So, you know, I've had many conversations. I'm at peace with where that was, where where we are now. But I had said I wanted to leave. And because I couldn't pinpoint the why behind, I only knew how I was feeling and what I needed. And I didn't get it. I didn't get the support from them. I didn't get where I needed to go. It was, well, if you want to leave, then the car we bought you and this happens That all goes away and you get to pay for your own school. And and when I think about it, it was, you know, they had spent so much time and so much money supporting me as a gymnast. They were like, why wouldn't you just keep doing it? What they didn't understand and what they weren't willing to be open to understanding was that I was in a lost space. My mindset was nowhere where it needed to be, where I wanted it to be. And I was just kind of spinning in circles. Um... And it wasn't until several years after college that I finally was able to read some books that just made me think like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. But then I still couldn't find my people. You know, I wasn't alone anymore because I knew there were people out there that understood what I was going through, but I still didn't have anybody that really was living what I was living. Um, And that took several more years to to get to a better place from a mindset perspective, even after college.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people can probably, again, resonate with that of just whenever we're having these crises, and I think this is a a good testament to kind of take and just hold on to for anyone that's going through a hard time or knows somebody that's going through a hard time, we're all having struggles internally. Uh, probably the hardest of struggles inside outside is completely different what we portray to the world is completely different from the internal voices that is happening on a day-to-day basis so when it when we do see somebody that is struggling or opens up and takes that risks to say hey look I, I I need to walk away I, I want to quit I, I'm done we should be prompted versus having a reaction to respond and say what's actually going on here let's let's dive into this conversation even further. So I have to say that's awesome and incredible that you were able to heal through that with your parents and anybody that might be suffering through this right now that might be listening, what would you say to these people?
1: I would say this is one area where today's world is so much different than the world I grew up in, Um, even from a parenting perspective, because my parents understand stuff now they didn't. And it's because I, I I no longer react to them. I respond to them. And sometimes that response is silence. (laughs) And sometimes it's leaning in. Um, But it's when I'm in a calm state, and I'm able to be in a place with my kind of like, mental energy To be open to responding and sharing and engaging versus reacting and getting frustrated with how people are judging, because a lot of times it's unintentional. So my guidance for others is, if the people that you're closest to, if you feel judged by them, it's okay to put them aside for a little bit. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Just put them aside. I there were time I didn't talk to my parents for months. And it was because I needed to take care of me. I needed to figure out me without that noise. And that's the one thing I wish I would have brought through from childhood. When I wasn't listening to the outside noise, I knew exactly who I was and what I wanted to do And in that moment in time. And then when all the noise started happening. So trust yourself. And when you can't trust yourself, trust your professional. I Because the other piece of this is when we were doing a lot of work with sports psychologists, I remember being able to talk to them, whether it was at National Training Center, um, at the USOTC, or it was just in our gym, or one of my coaches that I felt just didn't judge me at all, and could see the look on my face coming into the gym and say, let's go sit down and talk, whereas my parents would drive me to school and have no, I mean, to practice. 30 minutes in the car and have no idea what was going on, or they were afraid to approach it. And I think it was probably more the latter. They didn't know how to deal with it. So they just chose to ignore it. And that's so consistent for so many people that I know still to this day, they're not there anymore. They ask a lot of good questions. They support me now. It's a beautiful place to be. But if you don't have a support system, don't do what I did and revert into yourself. Reach out and have a talk therapist. Work with someone. I work with someone now which I didn't, I got help from my kids and I would use that person to help me a little bit, but I finally invested in someone for myself. And if I could give people any advice, it would be do that for you. It is the best investment I've ever made for myself over any anything, like any vacation, any athletic stuff, anything at all I like to kickbox, but that investment in myself to have someone that can ask you questions and not actually agree with you, but hold that space for you to move through to forgive yourself and move past those things.
0: Mm.
1: It was, it's life altering. It really is.
0: It reminds me of a saying that it's never selfish to practice self care, right? If anybody thinks that it's selfish to say, I need a therapist or I need to go talk to somebody or I need to take a massage or I need to have time for myself, but I have all these other things that need my attention. It's never selfish, to take care of yourself. So I definitely condone that. I recommend anyone that might be listening that is struggling with that, that needs to and wants to have that conversation to find professional help. You attested to it a little bit and you aligned into the conversation and I want to kind of pull that out now. You talked about the sports psychology component and I want to see how that helped you and I want to see what gifts that brought to the table to where we're at now in what's really bringing to light? So, what was the sports psychology bringing, maybe even unconsciously, to awareness to you back then? To now, full awareness now.
1: Yeah, good question. Back then, we did a lot of visualization. So, what the psychologist, the sports psychologist, taught me in the young my younger years was. How to block everything out, how to be in my zone, how to show up and focus on what was important to me, and that it was just me and the equipment, you know? Um, and so, in doing that, I was able to go into an arena with 20,000 people and feel like there were 20 people in there because I, the minute I got on my equipment, I didn't hear anybody. And then I'll, I would listen to recordings after the events and it's like, wow, there were a lot of people screaming and there was a floor routine going on and a beam routine and someone was vaulting. And, you know, but I only, I was so focused on what I had visualized and where I was going and what I had trained for. You know, it's like you train to compete. You don't um, compete to train, right? So and what I mean by that is once you get to the, once you get to the meet, you should have everything you need. Now it's just a matter of executing on it. Um, And so- All of the sports psychologist work, which I finally kind of reconnected into just two years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, this is why I, I was so comfortable with who I was. I didn't really care how other people saw me or what they thought of me, because I knew what I was doing was what was best for me. And so that's really what it taught me. Unfortunately, I lost sight of that for... 20 plus years. It's back now. Um, But I lost sight of it. And it really made me start to just question everything about me because of what other people thought, said, didn't know, perceived and otherwise.
0: Yeah. Was there there gifts in the visualization components of obviously seeing the tricks, but what about the psychology part about the mindset of just seeing and believing yourself that you can do this trick? Was that something that was overly emphasized that you need to first believe that you can do this trick before you visualize that you do this trick and then even go out and perform this trick.
1: You know, I'm not sure. I don't think we ever used that word, like believed it. I think it was more we want you to see it. Because when you see it in your mind, that means you are capable of it. And so we used some different terminology back then. Um, yet I I would say what I recognize now, Brian, is that beam was always my nemesis. Now, some of it I think was the visual perception thing that like makes a lot of sense now. But even when I was doing visualization work, if we were, if I was doing that event and I'd close my eyes, I always see myself either doing a balance check or falling. Like never, I don't know if I ever did a routine, even in visualization, where I stuck like five for five. We would do like five for five routines and you know, in, in practice. But all my other events, I could hit. But beam, I couldn't. And so, you know, if I think about it, there was clearly a mental block there. But even psychologists didn't know what they know now about how to talk to those things and how to move through those things. And so that mental block never went away. Could it have? And could it, you know, if we had to do it all over again with everything we know today, probably. But it definitely showed me that if you can see it, it's possible. Um, and so that would be the phrase I would use. And um, and that's what I reconnected to a couple of years ago when we did a visualization at an offsite uh, with the uh, executive transformation coaching I was doing. And I was like, we do this thing with these knobs. It was, I forget what the visualization was called, but it was something with like these um, uh, television knobs. And it was like, bring it in a picture, bring it into clarity. What do you see? What colors do you see? What does that look like? And when I came out of it, I was like, I felt this like total like relief and I'm like jotting things down. And it was in that moment that I knew I needed to lean in full force into figuring out what do I call myself? Is it What What's the term? What's the word? And ha- where do I go next? Because in my mind, it was so clear that no, nothing anybody else said mattered. And all the people that didn't understand what I was going through with my kids over the years and Left me feeling like I was on an island or I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't care about them because I knew that there were enough people out there. I don't mean that in a mean way. (laughs) I didn't care about their opinions. (laughs) Let me just be very clear. I didn't care about their opinions because their opinion didn't matter with what I knew I was able to accomplish for my children and how much I knew that I could be a thought partner and an influencer for others and help them become an ally and move them along. You know, it was like all of a sudden, all the best parts of everything I had done over the years kind of came back together. And I'd have to say, like, if I could, I never was asked this question, Brian, but if I have to attribute it to something, it's that mind, it was that visualization work that we did, because if you could see it, you could make it happen.
0: Yeah. And maybe anybody that I, I love visualization. I'm always a big component of it. And I've had previous guests talk visualizations, but I always love hearing other people's point of views and how they would encourage somebody that has never visualized something before. How would you, if this is a first time listener that has heard of visualization and they're wanting to visualize their life in XYZ five years from now, what would you say to them? How do they do it?
1: Yeah. So funny that you asked this and I'm going to go here first because when I started doing the coaching work with uh, the company I was doing it with, we had talked about meditation and visualization, not, not visualization. We talked about meditation and some other things with that. And in my mind, meditation was sitting there quietly, not moving for 30 minutes I can't even hold a yoga pose for five minutes. There's no way my ADHD brain is sitting still, my hyperactivity and everything else going on. I'm like squirrel, squirrel, right? I have to think really hard not to get off topic here with you because my brain doesn't work that way. What I came to figure out when we were at that retreat was meditation visual, visualization intertwine, And it's different verbiage. It's different words. And we use different different words to describe the same Functions, the same outcomes, right? And a lot of things that we do. And so, what I would say is start small. What I did was I chose to commit to five minutes a day of mindfulness. And whether it was a TEDx, it was a um, Benny Brown, it was somebody that somebody had sent me something that was like a five minute clip and just kind of being with yourself. And just give yourself the space to sit down, whether it's on a couch like the one behind me, in a corner, outside, whatever that is, and just listen to whatever that meditation is. There's there's some that are one minute. I actually started with one minute ones because the five minute ones were honestly too long for me when I started. And one of them was about energy and one of them was about just release. And so they were all on a specific topic. So I just went into like insight timer and searched. Um, that's just one I like because my ki- my kids like some of those um, as well for nighttime meditations. And what I realized was even those one minute meditations, if you can just allow yourself to relax, you're going to see something. It's not going to be what you'll see two months, three months, four months down the road when you make it a practice and a habit but you will start to see something and don't get ahead of yourself. 1% better every day is a motto that I have latched to from somebody that had given it to me, Um, but it's those micro shifts. Just like as a gymnast, I couldn't do a full and back out off the uneven bars before I could do a glide kip, or a handstand or other things or a backflip, right? I had to stretch, I had to strengthen, And I had to train before I could do any of those things, and that's what you have to do with this mindset uh, work. It's it takes training, you know, your mind. You have to train that that muscle.
0: Yeah, it's, it's that's a great way of thinking about it. Is just that, and I love that you you even attested it to that. Is that your mind, your mindset is is a way of it's a muscle. It's a way of thinking. It's a it's a new thing that you need to stretch and mold and and grow into and and expand into and and for some of us it's going to be a lot of work for those that might have some neurodiversity atypical as we call them right traditional ways of thinking if as the word normal might be thrown out but that those people ADHD hyperactivity people that even don't have diagnostic or diagnosed ADHD, but they say, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. I can't sit in a, in a Zen pose for thirty minutes. Where do I have that time, right? Or and my mind won't let me stretch it, right? Work it out sit with it for a minute, sit with it for five. And Insight Timer, I love that. That's an app I use every day as well. So <laughs> I got to say it's a great one. Um, getting into kind of the, the part of where we're at now in the neurodiversity for those that are listening and might not have heard this term before, and I'll be one to be a vulnerable person in this regard. I, it was the first time I had heard of it utilized the way you, which you used it for those that haven't heard of neurodiversity and what that really means. You're a neurodiversity consultant. What would you say to those people? What is, what do you offer them?
1: Yeah. Let me start with the, what the heck is neurodiversity because yeah. <laughs> I can offer clarity on that. Right. So um it's really much bigger than what many think. So if somebody knows neurodiversity, they'll say, Oh, that person's autistic or has autism. Cause some people say they're autistic. Some people say they identify as having autism. Um, and there's, there's two schools of thinking there. Neurodiverse and neurodivergent, they, they, are terms that are becoming more mainstream. They're still going to take a while to get there. I'm starting to see people really own it, adults own it, people lean into it. But it's a huge umbrella. So if you think of neurodiversity as the umbrella, you have everything from ADD, ADHD, autism spectrum disorder. Um, you have anxiety. You have um all sorts of things. I mean, there's a whole gamut. I post some things about it. So um, on LinkedIn, I'm going to continue to really just kind of post in Facebook about those things, because I think it's really important to understand the whole gamut. I've seen some charts that have more things listed within neurodiversity and some that have less, but it's really it's a broad spectrum. And I, you know, I know we talk about the autistic autism spectrum disorder, but neurodivergency and neurodiversity is a huge spectrum of different types of atypical learning or atypical brain wiring, if you will. So, and what will work for one won't work for another. Uh, My, my older ones on the spectrum, my younger one has ADHD, applied behavioral therapy work great for my older one, my younger one, Chemical imbalance, brains work differently. Those, beha- those I couldn't just teach him new behaviors because his brain wasn't processing them. It, they weren't. It wasn't working. Um, so what? So that's a little about neurodiversity. And what I do is I take all of the knowledge base that I have and that I've learned over the years, and I simplify the neurodiverse learning journey for parents and educators of neurodiverse learners. And I simply do that through personalized support and programs that are for them. I meet them where they are. You know, I meet people where they are on their journey. And then we take it from there. Um, I've been doing this 15 years. Uh, Founded my business originally about three and a half years ago, then rebranded, spent all of last year just really figuring out where the gap was in the market. Like meaning not the market, where the gap was with parents and educators. Like I don't want to use the word market because I'm not selling anything. I'm really offering a service and solving problems for people like me. That is really what I want to do is help others not feel that lonely road that I felt for 10 of the 15 years I've been on this journey. Know that there's an ally and a thought partner and a confidant that's going to walk this journey with them. That's not going to be Judgy, <laughs> that's going to do it unconditionally, and that's going to give them the space because I'm going to hold their vision for them until they can gain the clarity, the confidence, and the courage to do it themselves. So, for some, they might just be starting, and others might just need someone to talk to.
0: Yeah, and somebody that might not know where they want to go right? That you're kind of that guide, that lighthouse to help them through that path. Because I assume being hit with this information and maybe some people are coming to this term for the first time and applying it to their own lives and maybe even their children's lives, where can they find answers or how can they come even to come to conclusions that maybe I am that neurodiverse or maybe we all are neurodiverse. Where do they find more?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I believe everyone's got some neurodiversity. You know, when people say normal, I'm like, what's normal? When people say weird, I say, aren't we all weird? Right. Don't we all have something that someone looks at you like, even if it's a food, right, that I like and you don't like, you're like, ew. Right. So there sorry, i sure like drinking water. Um, right. But there, there's always something, right? I like, um, somebody likes tall people, somebody likes short people, somebody likes blonde. Hair. Like there's, there's differences, right? We're all unique. We all like different things. So I think that that's, you know, within all of us. But to answer your question, see, this is where my brain goes off to the side. Um, what you had asked me is where people can go. You can go on the internet and find everything and anything out there, which is in part why I created Journey to Bloom. Because there is so much information that you don't know you don't know. You don't know where to start. And then you're getting conflicting messages. You're getting... Conflicting information, or at some point you're getting information overload, and you just you're just like I'm done. So what often happens, and what I tell people is, if they're curious, you can certainly start with your school system or a infants and toddlers program. If you're in Maryland, if you're in California, it's called the regional center. So every state has a little bit of a different um, focal point for those that are younger, and with with child find educators, school systems really are supposed to be trying to figure out like what's happening, catch it early on. So the interventions can take hold. And all of these learners have the best chance of thriving, right? Not just surviving. And um, so, you know, you can go on the internet, you can go to your local locations. If you know your child has a diagnosis of like autism or ADHD, you could go to Autism Society. If it's ADHD, you can go to Chad, your local Chad. Um, and you could, uh, for mental health, go to NAMI. So there's and there's more. I mean, I'm only listing a couple that I'm very familiar with because I've dealt with them for my own kids and for clients. But the the list goes on and on. And you can come to me. You can come to my website, which is just getting ready to to launch. So it's very much coming soon. We're in final final stages. But there will be resources, and there will be articles, and there'll be books that I like, and there'll be all the acronyms, like the ABC soup of, of uh, you know, special education. What do all the acronyms mean? Because there are a lot of them. And I tried to hit them from A to Z so people could go there. My goal, One of my biggest goals is if people do want to come to me for information, is to be able to have it somewhere in a single source for people. And it's just building because I'm just beginning. And I'm very familiar with Maryland and California, and I'm somewhat familiar with Pennsylvania resources because I've helped people in Pennsylvania, but I don't, I've never lived in there as a parent in Pennsylvania. So I haven't done the school system there. Um, But coming to someone like me, I can actually help anybody that needs it, that has a neurodiverse learner, suspects they do and don't know where to go and don't have the time to pull it together. So, you know, I can help people do the research create what I call a journey map to help them figure out who to talk to, when they can look back on it, they have it to keep. I can be that coach, that confidant to build their confidence. And I can always go on site or do video sessions with them in, in, in the school system. So I am looking to be a place where I can help them until I can't. And then I can give the resources that help them with what they need.
0: Incredible. Incredible amount of resources out there. I have to assume if anybody's ever Googled anything, right, there's billions of resources out there that kind of come up from one one search. So that can be overwhelming. That can be daunting. So Journey to Bloom going to be able to help them be able to come to solutions there. I also want to say, and I love that we're targeting children in this regard and early and helping them. But like you said earlier, we all at a point have some neurodiversity, right? We all struggle in a different way. And maybe this is a new term coming to light and blooming like you you do and like you say in your website. But for adults that are looking to figure things out on there on, on, and for themselves, really how, how can one come to a way of figuring out different ways of solutions or how did you come up with different ways of figuring this out? You walk the walk with your own kids, but maybe other people won't have that yet or don't have children and they want to find out how Absolutely. they can help themselves.
1: Those are great, great questions. And the short answer is you can go to LinkedIn, you can go to Facebook, you can go to a Google search and you can put in keywords of things that you're looking to learn about. There are so many blogs out there and there are a lot of speakers and a lot of authors and um, a lot of people that are showing up and owning their neurodiversities as a superpower, right? Instead of as something you want to hide from. And I love that. And I wrote a post yesterday about it because the fact that people are leaning in is so powerful for me because I was alone on an island for a very long time. And whether it was people were afraid to speak up or whatever, I, I wasn't, but I got shot down so many times I kind of gave up. And I want everyone to know that today you're not alone. And there's so many people out there that would be willing to collaborate with you, not say what's wrong with you or why is that happening, but instead saying, tell me more. And Brian, you were attesting to this, you know, kind of earlier on to bring in the conversation. How does that feel for you? What's showing up for you? What what have you tried? Oh, maybe I can, you know, you might want to talk to this person, or we can talk more about it, or have you looked at this site? So find your people and you're going to find your people in places that you don't ever expect to. I'm doing affiliations and things with people that I never would have expected. I mean, Brian, you're a perfect example, right? Like if I looked at your background um, prior to reading your posts, I would never have thought about this connection. But then when I was looking at your mindfulness stuff and then you saw me post about neurodiversity and you're like, Whoa, what is this? Like, let's talk. Right? So be curious, be collaborative, and just do some searches, but don't take yourself to this place of, oh my God, there's too much. I'm not going to get there. Find a couple of people that maybe posted something that just really resonated with you and start asking questions. I will tell you, you will grow your, your group of people from there. And the more diverse that group is, the more you're going to be able to help one another.
0: Absolutely. Wow. Yes. Full send on that. That and say it louder for those in the back. That is incredible. There's so much power there because, again, Think about this in regard to anyone that is struggling to find their curiosity, and they're wanting to find their tribe, and they feel alone in this self-identifiable crisis where they can't identify themselves again. And there's maybe they were they thought they were X Y Z, but they're not X Y Z, and they're not finding themselves. And then they're searching this 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 gamut, this world that's full of information, and it can be so overwhelming that you even shut down and withdraw. How do you ignite that curiosity? Well, begin asking questions. begin looking into other people's lives. And when you feel as if there is no answers there, or as if this is a turnoff to you and you're like, "Eh, I don't need to know anything about that, push into it, lean into that uncertainty of like, why am I already discounting that? Maybe for example, this right neurodiversity i have been like, I don't know that term Bush push right on by it dive into it, here we are now, creating something with it. Same exact thing can happen with a number of avenues that we have in our own lives and individuals' lives that there might be things that are happening around us that you could become very, very passionate about, but you don't know until you ask and you don't begin to search. So yes, yes, yes. full Something else that
1: you were saying about adults that I think is really important to – to bring up the mental health and wellness is something that people are really diving into now. Uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's been like the new shiny penny. I don't mean any disrespect by that, but it is, it's like everyone wants to have strategy in their name or I'm strategic. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything if you're not implementing and executing and holding people accountable to it. And we we've come very far Compared to where we were, but we have a really long way to go. And a lot of people are still talking it, but not really walking it. And and so there's a lot of work to be done there. And if you want to create change for yourself and for other adults to have the opportunities, I am championing that that stuff as well. So um, it's not like on my website, but it's something that uh, there's a reason why I said parents and educators on my site and not parents and teachers To me, a teacher lectures or tells you to look in a book. An educator teaches you, shows you, helps you implement it to execute it. And then it can be sustained. And so, you know, I'm focused on the parents and the educators in the school systems, but I'm also talking with some organizations that are willing to listen. And I'm going to say that again, willing to listen because they can just shake their head or they can look at you with you know four eyes. And I have had that so much over the years. You know, why wouldn't you want to be a, a leader? Um, why do you want to go do that? Or what do you mean your son has this, or you can't come to work and work 60 hours, right? They're not the places you need to be. And in today's world, given the pandemic and everything that's happened, and you know, I think about what's going on right now, right? In in Ukraine, my, my relatives are from there. My husband was born there. And with everything happening right now and the emotions of it, you know, we are blessed and we are lucky to be where we are. And if our worst complaint is somebody looking at us like we're crazy because we want to talk and scream about neurodiversity and, and scream about mindset and mindfulness, let the people that give us crooked eyes, let them be. Just say next. Don't push your energy into them. Push them into the ones that are willing to be chipped away at or willing to lean in and engage. And so some organizations, while they get the health and wellness from um, an anxiety and a depression standpoint, what people aren't understanding, and I'm starting to gain a little traction in teaching this um, and then educating, because I have to talk about it first, then educate on it, is what's triggering the anxiety, what's triggering the depression it's typically a neurodiversity, a neurodivergent learner. It's someone that feels alone because they think differently, they speak differently, they act differently, they are really sensitive. I know people used to tell me, get over it. Why are you crying? You can't cry. If you wanna be a C-suite, you can't be emotional. Well, now there's a whole thing about highly sensitive people, right? It's a space. And I I took a quiz, for the most you can get was 20. I got 16 out of 20 for highly sensitive. Well, I could have told you that, but I needed to take a quiz, right? But if you don't take the quizzes and then do something with them, just like all the surveys that we do for personality tests and all the great places to work stuff, if we're not doing anything to actually actionably create the change and sustain it and give people the tools consistently to make that happen, nothing's going to change. And I've learned that from the school systems that if I'm not leaning in and constantly pushing the bar in a very nice way, in a collaborative way... My kids aren't getting what they need, which is what made me really lean in to do this for other parents and really early on, because studies have shown, and I have seen proof positive, the earlier those interventions start, the more chance your learner has. But that doesn't mean that as an adult, you still don't have an opportunity to learn and educate and teach and embrace. Mm -hmm. It's just finding the audiences that are willing to go there with you.
0: Wow. That's awe inspiring and incredible. And I love the passion there that you have with the the neurodiversity and the journey And this. uh, I'm a big believer in the first principle mentality, which is if we can boil things all the way down to why does mental health exist, right? Why is there a really big problem there? Well, it's because we believe that we're supposed to fit into one way of thinking. And then when we figure out that we don't fit in that one way of thinking, we beat ourselves up with this internal voice that, Hey, I don't fit in this. And then we have this new, refreshing way of thinking that's coming into light and saying, hey, guess what? There's a thousand ways to different think about this, and that's okay. And there's neurodiversity, and there's neurodivergent, and there's all these other ways out there, and that's okay. Look, you are quote-unquote normal. And that's fine. And then now we're coming to the exact understanding of where mental health is coming from. And we're understanding of why people with anxiety are feeling the way that they are and depression and all the sorts. And those are still clinical issues. And those still are mental health crises. But now we're getting deeper and we're getting that conversation moving. So, yes full send on that. That's that passion, that conversation. We can push it and push it and push it. And I love your passion with it. And what you're doing is incredible. And anybody that wants more of it needs to go check out your journey to bloom and check out that, that resource as that. For anyone that's going through it now, we pushed internet, but I also believe books are very helpful as well. Were there any books that you would recommend people to read to learn more about neurodivergence or neurodiversity?
1: Yeah, I think that well, some of it depends on um, what the child's diagnosis is, Um, but I will list two books that really have stuck with me over time. Um, and one of them is um, the reason I jump. It was written by a 13 year old uh, nonverbal autistic child, and it really, when I read it, it's a very easy read, quick read. So lots of parents, you know, and it's probably on Audible by now. But when I read it, there was <laughs> there was no Audible, um, but it. Uh, it was really amazing because one of the things when my older son um was first diagnosed they the behavioral soul was like look him in the eye look him in the eye and he would melt down and we were like oh my gosh why is it happening well when i read this book he t- the guy the person talked about the fact that if you want me to listen i can't do two things at once so i can't look at you because it takes so much energy and listen so let me do one and not both, but, but even behavioralists would say, you, you know, we're trying to teach them social norms, right? Here we go again, Brian, what's expected, right? What's expected is to look someone in the eye, to do a firm handshake to, you know, so it's, are our expectations appropriate, right? That's a whole nother, we could talk for hours on that one too, right? But so the reason I jump when it's on my, it's on my website as well, um, which, Um, I can, I can put it out there because by the time this goes live, it will be fully live. So I'll, I'll share it in just a moment. So that one is one. And then another one is, um, how to talk to your kids so they will listen and listen so your kids will talk. Um, and that's for anybody. I don't care. I'm, like I said, I think everyone has some sort of neurodiversity, um, as neurodivergent in some way, some way more, um, known than others, right? Because it shows up in much more excessive ways. Um, But that is just a wonderful example. And I believe there's a three-part series to that I've only ever read the one book. I've read the yellow book, but I think there's three parts to it. Um, And that has just been transformational as well. Because we have to remember, kids are just littler people, Right, they're just smaller versions of who we grow up to be, and when we learn to communicate with them as though they're a human being and not a five-year-old versus a fifty-year-old, because some five-year-olds are more mature than some fifty-year-olds, right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, we have to just treat people as people, and this book really simplistically gives you tools and guidance to help you do that. So, those are my those are my two two my favorites, and I was thinking about that as we were talking the other day about you were going to bring up books and. There's so many I can mention, but those two I think are the ones that I would
0: yeah I would I'm gonna share. have to check out that latter one that sounds incredible I would check out both without a doubt but that second one definitely the first one with the who wrote it is that's incredible story of just being able to do that yeah i definitely have to read that well we're coming to the tail end of the show and i always like to throw out a couple questions just to all of my guests one of the first questions is if you had one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self or to a younger listener right now what would it be That's, that's powerful. Yeah. Being able to trust the process, trust what you're doing, trust trust the actions. And and sometimes it feels very daunting. And that's the point of anything that's like if you're training and you're becoming an athlete, athlete if you're trying to work out and get better in shape, if you're trying to build a company, trust the process, trust the grind, trust every day showing up over a long period of time, with no expectations, but you know that you're going to arrive there at the other end. Exactly. Last question. We'll wrap it up on an optimistic one. What excites you most about the future?
1: Gosh, um, being able to do this every day, You know, being able to have these conversations, being able to to speak my truth and share the knowledge that I have learned, learned from others and just continue to chip away at what really needs to take place and transpire for the future of all of ourselves and especially our young learners. So really just being able to do this, like it's, I have to pinch myself sometimes, like before I got on here, I'm like, wow, this is really what I do every day. This is I get to talk about something that I'm so passionate about that." I, yeah, I'm exhausted at the end of the day. My energy goes down because I give so much during it, but every single conversation I have, I know is helping someone somewhere and helping others help themselves always been so core to my heart. And that's just really what I get to do every day.
0: Yeah, that's that's a beautiful way of saying it. Anybody that's wanting to take that leap, create something then which they're passionate about and is a love for them. This is it. This is what it's like. If this is something you're wanting to do and this is you're saying, oh, I can't actually make money doing that. Yes, you can. There is ways to do that. Stop putting those limited beliefs there. We can do it. You can do it. Take that leap and just put in that work. Trust the process going back to the previous answer and put it in. Lisa, this has been incredible. I love our conversations. We could probably go on and on with neurodiversity and all the typical norms and that t- whole terminology of normal and what is it. But I want to say thank you so much for coming on this show. And it's been a real pleasure and an honor to have a, have you on here. Thank you
1: so much. It has been Awesome. And I promised I would give my website out. So I'm going to share it. It's journey, the number two, bloom, all one word.com. Um, and you people can email me at Lisa or Lisa at journey to bloom.com. And I will get that information as well. Um, but thank you so much. I could, like you said, I could talk to you for hours. There's so many things and differences, but similarities, and it's just been so much fun. So thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: And that's it for this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, Brian Sage. If you want to find more out about Lisa Richer, be sure to head over to LinkedIn page found in the show notes below, as well as find your website down in the show notes. There is so much good information about how to really adjust your life for the neurodiverse. We all learn in different ways. It's time to adapt it. And as always, stay curious keep expanding.